Hello, and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. Come back every second Monday to hear new episodes, and subscribe in iTunes or at the show to RSS feed. That way you can keep up to date as soon as new episodes are released. For more information, detailed show notes, and links, you can visit soundofthemoment.com. And if you like what you hear and you'd like to support the show, please give it a favorable rating or review in iTunes. This boosts the podcast's visibility and it helps other listeners to find it. You can follow me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver or look for Sound of the Moment on Facebook. This is episode number three for 20th of November 2017. My guest today is the Bulgarian drummer Bobby Petrov, who is my good friend and partner in the rhythm section for Tin Men and the Telephone. He leads his own band called Jazanitsa, and you're about to hear a track from their eponymous debut album. This is Tansi Mansi.
You've just heard music from the Bulgarian drummer and band leader Bobby Petrov, who's my guest today. Welcome, Bobby. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor and pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, so I suppose most people will know you as the drummer for the band Timmen and the Telephone, um, which obviously we <laughs> play in together. Yes. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today I wanted to talk about your own music and your own band. You lead a band called Jazanitsa. We just heard some of the music. Um, well, maybe first you want to talk a bit about yourself for those that are not familiar with your work. Yes, uh, 2002, so that makes it about 15 years ago, I came to uh, Holland and uh, the idea was actually a friend of mine who's today playing in Jazanitsa and is a very big musical influence to me because he kind of really directed my way into music. Is a saxophone player from Bulgaria by the name of Dimitar Lolev. And uh, Dimitar, I met him already in 99, I think, or 2000. And we started a sort of a fusion band together in Bulgaria. And uh, the idea was just to play jazz rock because we, we all, all the musicians came from that pop and rock kind of scene, but we developed as musicians and we started getting interested in, in, in jazz, but there was not much jazz happening uh, in Bulgaria, not to the point where you could really study that music. So kind of instinctively jumped into fusion and jazz rock. <clears throat> so Dimitar... Um, came to play in the band, but we noticed that he is uh, very familiar with Bulgarian folk music and with the instrumental folk music and what they call the wedding style. We can talk about that later, what that is, if it's interesting. But uh, it's uh, instrumental music, it's quite sophisticated. And he learned it from his father, who is a famous Bulgarian uh, musician and arranger, composer. And... Um, of course, everyone in the band at that time was very intrigued by, oh, there's somebody who really knows how to play that stuff and probably he can teach us. But Dimitar is also a jazz musician and a pretty dedicated jazz musician. And at one point he said, we should get a better education. Um, and I don't think we can get that in Bulgaria, not for jazz music. So let's go abroad. And he had some connections in, in, um, in Holland in a small conservatory. At the time... Uh, this conservatory was in Groningen and it wasn't called uh, Prince Klaus Conservatorium like today. Or it was just like a, a small conservatory in Holland and uh, when we applied for it, we didn't, we didn't even know that they had just started a, a whole American school jazz program there. And uh, the idea was that um, they will invite pretty good and pretty pretty renowned musicians from the States to teach in a, on a, a rotary basis so that they're sort of like guest teachers, but then for a whole week. And this was the, this was the idea. And we applied for a conservatory. We arrived there and we saw, oh my God, there's, there's, there's a whole American faculty of, of really great musicians. But um, we had prepared something that uh, Dimitar had composed at the time for our passing, uh, for our uh, entrance exam, which was a kind of a little composition based on this folk wedding style kind of thing. So this is this is still two thousand two. This is two thousand and two exactly. Okay, right. Wow. And we went to the exam and we played a few standards and we played that composition. And uh, I remember my teacher Ralph, the great Ralph Peterson, who was in the jury then 
together with uh, uh, Don Braden, who was uh, examining Demeter for saxophone, and um, I think this this Dutch uh, saxophone player, Miguel Martinez, was also in the jury. So they all heard that stuff, and they said, okay, guys, it's obvious for us that you have something going on. You have a very strong musical tradition. It seems very interesting, and it seems, it seems very applicable to jazz. But um, you're here to teach you to 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 learn jazz from us we're going to teach you jazz we're going to teach you that language and meanwhile as you get better in it please experiment and yeah, so they were encouraging tradition. you already they were in- encouraging us from the first moment okay that's great which was very very great they expected us to learn certain things about the jazz language and 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 how to really uh, play that music well but they were always looking for for that and in fact Dimitar Demeter graduated first, one year before me, and at his graduation exam, we played, half of the exam we played just jazz tunes, and then the other half we played what we had already kind of experimented with through the three years of study of, of putting these two musics together, a few tunes of him. And in fact, the teachers was a little, a little disappointed, uh, and they told him, Demeter, we expected expected you to play the entire exam like this because <laughs> okay. this is what we we got you for here yeah. to uh, we know that you can play standards now and uh, they even gave him a little lower grade though they, they didn't give him the 10 they gave him the nine because they said if you had done your exam like this the whole thing we would totally give you a 10 and um but this is this is uh, i'm telling this story because the entire time while we were studying together and trying to become jazz musicians, because we were not jazz musicians before that, uh, we were really pop and rock musicians, this was this idea in mind. We have to do something with Bulgarian music. It's, it's a strong tradition, it's, a very, it's something that is obviously a very applicable to jazz context, it's very close to that kind of language, it also has improvisation in it, and of course it has the, the meters and stuff, but it's improvised music for for a, for a great deal and um, then the the journey was was to it was parallel to to learn jazz to learn how to play that music to learn as much as we can from the americans and then to meanwhile to experiment and experiment and try to find our own way and it was uh, always funny that i would go once in a while to to my teacher ralph peterson and i say yeah i think I think we found a really good way to combine like uh, this meter and whatever uh, jazz feel. And he would say, yeah, you're going to come next semester and tell me exactly the same thing. (laughs) 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 You'll keep discovering, of course. It's not an an ended process, you know. It's an ongoing process. But so you, it then takes you, so the album came out last year, early last year, early 2016. It took you that long to decide to go and record this music yeah um would you say that you i mean you you moved back to bulgaria Mm -hmm. um a couple of years ago was that the trigger that made you think now it's time to go back to these roots of the bulgarian thing and 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 reconnect with Dimitar, i suppose because is he he's also based in bulgaria now he's also in bulgaria yes okay longer than me yeah uh it was first of all i I was playing with all the musicians that are today in, in Jazanitsa, and I was playing with them already, and in different projects. And uh, so we were obviously playing a lot with Dimitri. The guitar player, Ludmil, Ludmil Krumov, is uh, also a very good friend of mine, 
who did his own band for a while, and we played also together with Demeter for a while as a trio with no bass. We were experimenting together. And um, with Vladimir Karparov, the tenor saxophone player, f- played a few projects. And I, I love all these musicians, uh, uh, and we are all searching kind of for the same thing from in our own way. Uh, but I didn't feel, years ago, I... I started composing a little bit so I would play a few tunes when I came to Amsterdam and started my master's degree this is where we also met together with you and and also with uh, Tony Roo from Tin Man I was already doing a little bit of composing but I didn't feel it strong enough yet and so you could say that was a proto version of that band with everybody who who was around I had a few Bulgarians around and Romanian musician and people who are close to this tradition. So I tried things, but it didn't it didn't really go well for me. I didn't think I was ready for that. And I waited. I waited for a moment where I'll come back to Bulgaria, I'll have a little time to think about what I want to do when I, when I came back to Bulgaria, moved back. Of course, I reconnected with Dimitar and I thought, okay, Dimitar is busy doing his own things, but how about... I collect all these people in one band and try to uh, write music that is especially written for them. So the idea of the band is that I get these people that I know for many years and I write music especially for them to play and to kind of showcase them. So it was it was more about that. And finally I got the courage actually to sit down and write something for these people. Yeah, but do you... So as far as I can tell, this is the f- the first band that really properly achieves this sort of fusion of Bulgarian folk traditions and, and jazz. But you say it's something Dimitar has been working on for a while, and you say he was busy with his own projects. Mm-hmm. So was what actually is he up to now in, in Bulgaria? Because surely he's also busy with trying to develop this kind of an idea, no? Yeah, I think so, but... Uh, he- he became very known in Bulgaria. Uh, it's a small country and not so many great musicians like himself. So, of course, he's now kind of playing with everybody. Um, all kinds of pop bands and, and all kinds of uh, projects in that direction of, of, of fusing some kind of uh, ethnic tradition with uh, with everything. He's very busy with that. I think he's preparing um his his second album i i hope so he's not telling me much about it but i think he has something in mind from uh, with the project that i played on but meanwhile he released another two cds in this direction but with a with a uh, cordless cordless band with a lot of, a lot of harmonic instrument yeah. uh, which came out even on a, on an english label I, i'm not sure what the name of the label is i'll ask the meter but yeah. uh, the second album came on a, on a british label and it's also it's also in this direction, and he's um, he's searching. I think um, slowly searching to also develop himself in that stylistic idea. Because when we recorded his first album, these were tunes that we wrote already been playing since two thousand two. So it was about seven eight years later that we actually sat down and recorded these tunes. As soon as I got back to Bulgaria, and uh, Jasonica came later. Because from that inspiration, I thought, okay, here's what Dimitar is doing. He's, he is, uh, this is his approach to, to this tradition and, and, and uh, to this fusion, if you will. What can I do different? How can I do something different from, from his ideas? And um, 
with that in mind, I started composing. Okay, what, what are the kind of things that Dimitri doesn't do? Or I would like to hear him do and uh, in another context. And the same for the other musicians. I was really, for example, Vladimir Karparov, who is a really great tenor player living in Berlin, he also has about three or four records of, of his own music, and it's also kind of a fusion thing. And I was listening to that music, and I said, okay, here's what Vladko is doing. We call him Vladko. Yeah. Here's what he's doing. Here's how he approaches this music. He would do a lot of arrangements on on standards or, or tunes from the jazz repertoire, kind of transferring them and rewriting them in Bulgarian odd meters. This is one of the things that he would do. And I thought, okay, that's great. Um, and uh, same for, for Ludmil and all these guys. I collected and I knew their skills already. I knew what they can do. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to write now. I'll try to write music that really showcases them, but it's different from what they do in musically. So that was kind of the idea. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's interesting to to talk more specifically about the music. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that um, you mentioned the chordless thing, and obviously on on your album there's a piano player and a guitar player. Yes, and it strikes me that the what you bring to to the music from the Bulgarian traditions is rhythmical and melodic, whereas all of the harmonic language is very much a, more of a jazz, exactly um, modern jazz approach. Yeah, maybe we should talk about that. Yeah, um, it's yeah. I don't know if 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 you can talk on the subject. Oh, definitely. Uh, so Bulgarian music, instrumental music, came from songs, and songs were originally. In, in sort of the, the, the rural tradition were just played, usually sung by a person and then accompanied by a single instrument, such as the wooden flute caval or the bagpipe, what we call gaida, or another, maybe a, maybe the kemencha, what we call gadulka, is this uh, instruments that are all, most of them are kind of single line instruments. So harmony entered the whole picture, European harmony entered the whole picture only in the in the beginning of the 20th century. Yeah. And uh, since then, there hasn't been so much going on until actually uh, communism came. Because in the 40s, they, the, the, the communist government wanted to really uprise the uh, kind of the nationalistic um, agenda with filling up the spectrum with new music, what they call, it has to be based on Bulgarian tradition, but we have to renew it and make it sound as if it's classical music. So they hired professionally trained classical arrangers and composers to, to collect songs. Actually, the songs were already being collected because they also investigated into a lot of field research and ethnomusicological research. So they had hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of songs from the whole country. So they told these arrangers, composers, please rearrange that. And the first thing they did is, of course, they put a lot of classical harmony underneath these this, uh, tunes and made arrangements that were really polyphonic and really sounded like uh, uh, classical music, romantic music. Even Some of it was even resembling the 20th century composers. And so then, harmonically, this is how this music developed, and, but it hadn't touched any jazz kind of um, harmony to it. It wasn't anything like that until the 80s. In the 80s, people such as Ivo Papazov came on the scene, and although they were not educated 
musicians, most of them, some of them were classically trained, but most of them were just uh, um, had the oral oral training. They they were hearing though music of the time, which was pop and rock and some jazz and some of that fusion jazz rock stuff, which was very popular in the end of the seventies towards the beginning of eighties. They started incorporating that stuff, but without the real knowledge of of, uh, of jazz harmony and how it works, bebop language and all that. So the, the music developed very much, let's say, through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, developed, immensely developed in a, in a rhythmic and a melodic form, and not so much in a harmonic form. And so for our generation, and I'm speaking about our generation, the people who were about their... Late teenage years in the 90s, hmm. where it was possible to travel and get education, we actually became the first generation to acquire a proper jazz education abroad. And all of us are doing kind of the same thing, touching the harmonic language of jazz and putting into Bulgarian music. Just as much as you take the rhythmic stuff and the melodic stuff from Bulgarian music and fuse it into um, yeah. the jazz music. This is what we uh, we're busy with. So, yeah, I so the to talk specifically about the rhythmic stuff. It's yeah. interesting because obviously the whole odd meter thing is very common now in yeah, um, in modern jazz. The way the way people play it all over the place. But there's something very specific about the way Bulgarians approach odd meters, and I know from experience from occasionally playing with some of you guys that you you have a very clear sense of groove that's quite different you think in terms of short and long beats mm -hmm. and you it it's obviously coming from a dance tradition right absolutely um, yeah yeah maybe you maybe we can talk about that a bit the the idea that because yeah it's it's much more of a it's much more anchored in something that is danceable and groovy mm -hmm. um and not it's you don't actually perceive it as something complex when you hear it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, now this is very specific. Uh, through the years, I had to really investigate that, and and I will continue to investigate that because it's a very very interesting subject. That I'm even going to try to approach it on an academic level, and and uh, I'll end up with a with a academic research on the subject, and. Um, According to a lot of musicologists from Bulgaria, these rhythms did somehow come from India. From the, from, they, they have their roots somewhere in Indian tradition. Uh, they came, th uh, came through Asia, came somehow through the Ottomans. Yeah, the Ottoman Empire exactly. sort of brought that. Brought that thing. Uh, but then something happened in Bulgaria that I don't think happened in, also in the Ottoman Empire and, and, and uh, even in the neighboring countries that certain pretty isolated regions of Bulgaria, uh, especially uh, one called Trakia, which is right in the middle of the country, hmm. and one in the, in the south, in the southwest of the country, yeah. around the Pirin Mountains, is where they all of a sudden developed a lot of those different combinations of short and long beats hmm. from very simple, which is like one long and one short beat, to a string of six, seven, eight combined short and long beats, which in the end comprised a very um, 
sophisticated string of of uh, of meters but it was always the song and the dance linked together and therefore bulgarian people started to develop a feeling for that long and short beats without having to think about it and because of the interpretation as well um interpretation in tempo and interpretation in a dance and also from the different regions the idea of long and short for a very long time was not very defined the short could be a little shorter in, in some occasions and the long could be a little longer and that sort of gave it what i call the groove of bulgarian music which is now different from a lot of other metric traditions or or um rhythmic traditions where somehow the pulse underneath whatever happens is sort of straight uh, sort of regular uh, mm-hmm. starting from african music and going to india and going to south america whatever happens rhythmically or what we call uh, the subdivision of of all these rhythms it is based on a somehow regular pulse while in bulgarian music a lot of the pulses underneath some of the dances are already irregular they by by default have this long and short thing in them and then everything is built upon that idea that it's going to be a, a kind of a jumpy pulse with the short and long um accents in it and therefore for most bulgarians i would say especially from the older generations and now it's actually this tradition is reviving fortunately because they they're organizing a lot of dance classes and uh, workshops and and uh, schools is coming back um for, so for for a lot of bulgarians this is just a common they wouldn't know what the music exactly plays they wouldn't even know what the time signature is non musicians wouldn't be able to say if it's a 7/8 or 9/8 but everyone would kind of feel those irregular pulses and when i was trying to communicate with musicians from all other cultures about rhythm and we would try to play with each other and as soon as we all the bulgarians we would introduce the bulgarian thing the bulgarian rhythm we immediately experienced that everyone understands it everyone understands everyone who's familiar with counting and with time signatures and from wherever they are they completely understand what's going on but the groove part is very difficult yeah. similar to what for example we uh, let's say uh, Europeans have a little bit of a hard time comprehending rhythms from Cuba or from Brazil who are yeah, also or based even in the idea of swing feel a swing feel also, something yeah. that that doesn't necessarily come naturally to people but that is anchored in in the traditions yeah and then like we said there's there's not really a lot of harmony in the traditions but there is a lot of interesting melodic concepts and i suppose it it comes from sort of modal traditions do you think yeah. that's also something that came from the ottoman i hear a lot of yeah. modes that are somewhat um yes um different from the western traditions i suppose absolutely yeah some of them were um, uh, what they call makam which is the typical typical mode for yeah. the for the uh, turkish music turkish kind of music and uh, in bulgarian music they only have two of them left that is that are really used now uh, most of the quarter tone ones are removed by now um and that had a lot to do with the fact that of course the ottoman um uh, the ottoman um 
we call it Ottoman occupation for for a yeah. good reason. So <laughs> of course, a lot of Bulgarians were not so happy uh, uh, being under that uh, rule, and they they did consider it sort of a sort of a slavery. Now they're starting to come up with all kinds of theories that it wasn't really like that and all that, but. The general feeling through the years, and especially with certain certain periods of time, was that um, this culture and this, respectively, this music is not something Bulgarian. So slowly, uh, Bulgarians rejected a lot of this, this these influences. There are very few of them left. Two modes are there. One is called hijas, which is basically. Um, I don't know how much we should go into music terminology yeah, the, the over details here. Details are maybe a bit. Um, yeah, but it's a it's a kind of a it's a kind of a, a mode that that uh, uses a certain inflection of the melody that you immediately orient uh, connected with Oriental music. Okay, let's say. Yeah. And uh, this has been extensively used in Bulgarian music. Still, there's another mode as well, and. Uh, what was really left most of the, uh, in most cases was the, actually the ornamentation to the melodies and the approach to ornamentation that's more present. And again, each country in the Balkans later on through the centuries found their own way of ornamentating. So now if you are more familiar with Balkan music, uh, you would recognize immediately and uh, the style and the country, and sometimes the musicians playing by the way they ornament. They might ornament the same melody, and you will know Serbia, Macedonia, Bulgaria, and Romania. But so is that based on where the ornaments are placed, or is it based on the actual nature of... Because what is the... It, listening to your music, it seems to me like it could have been composed, but it... Presumably, it's just we understand that this is where there would be an ornament in yeah. this melody. Exactly. What is the? Is it like, for example, in Indian traditions, they have certain modes where going up there's an ornament here and going down there's an ornament there. Does it have to do with that, or is there? Also. Okay. Also, yeah, it has to do with uh, the direction of the melody, mm -hmm. and there are certain just um, unwritten rules, really. There's mm -hmm. not nothing really written down about it. Musicians just know. If you hear that kind of combination of notes, you put the ornament there, or you put a combination of ornaments. And just in some regions, in some styles of music, they do it like this, and in others they do it like that. And in Bulgaria, uh, in Bulgaria, there's a few regions. So we have actually seven seven uh, distinct regions. And in each one, there's a little bit of a different ornamentation, but in general, it's kind of similar to in a way that you place... Most of the time, they place the ornament between notes, and uh, especially be between consecutive notes. If you have the same note repeated, 99% of the time, there'll be ornament in it. So if you have a da-da-da, you'll have da-da-da, and... Um, in Romania, for example, they would most of the time precede the note with an ornament. They would go dra dra, okay. dra dra, dra 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 dra, yeah. and in Bulgaria they go da la da la. Mm -hmm. So there will be a note, and there will be an ornament, and then another note. And that's a very that's a very distinct thing for us. So there's one one thing is the modes and the rhythms, but this ornamentation thing is the, is the big deal. And also from in Bulgaria, from Trakia to Stranja, which is like the the southeast, there will be a tremendous difference in ornamentation. And especially when singing, they would really approach it very different. So if you go in detail with the music, 
And with the musicians, you'll also see that some people are really specialized in one way of ornamenting. And if you, and if you ask them to do another way, it might be difficult for some of them, unless they really investigated all the styles and all the ways to do it. Yeah. But it's not something that just comes like that. You know, you have to study, you have to memorize the way no, you ornament. Course. So for, for Jazz and Itza and for this music, I didn't even bother writing ornaments yeah. because I knew that, that the guys will first of all meet music that is not, especially melodically, not entirely based on the tradition. So we were supposed to make it sound like that, but I cannot really apply all these rules. So I totally left it up to them. And also from an instrument to an instrument, certain ornaments would work and others won't, and they had to synchronize it. So one person will say, you know, I can I can play this ornament here and I can approach it with uh, with with that note. And then the other saxophone player would say, no, this wouldn't work on my instrument. I would have to put a, a whole note. Hmm. Or I don't play the ornament and only you play it. So they had to make all these kind of negotiations. But so there was some somewhat of a compositional process in that they, they got together and discussed, okay, here we put a thing and here you do it, etc. Et yeah. But then... It's interesting because then in the soloing you hear that come back quite a lot. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially in, well, yeah, in in the saxophone playing, but also the guitar playing. I suppose mm -hmm. there's a lot of of this stuff. Do you feel like that? I mean, like you say, you you feel like this band is sort of the first to really bring these traditions together. But have have these guys been integrating that into their playing in other projects? Do yeah. you? Yes, absolutely. All of them are doing it. Okay. All of them are doing it. All of them are experimenting with, um, especially melodically, to, to see, for example, how all the typical modes used in jazz music can be ornamentated as well in the Bulgarian way. Yeah. Uh, so once I had a, a very big eye-opener when Ludmil, uh, the guitar player of the band, sat down with me and said, name a mode, give me a mode. And I said, okay, um, uh, Lydian. Okay, here how it goes. Uh, Lydian. Then I went to the diminished scale and I went to the whole tone scale and I called all of them that are really used in jazz and he demonstrated for me how you can make them sound as if they were a Bulgarian mode by putting a yeah. uh, ornamentation. So he had worked it all out to be hmm. able to play this thing. So then when I gave him a certain set of chord changes that are really part of the the modern jazz, they knew already, they had automatic pilot. They, they already, could already They already knew how to approach it this way, that it's Bulgarian and jazz at the same time. And that's definitely the first generation of people who can do that. Yeah, there's I no precedent to this. Because no. I, I seem to remember somebody mentioning that that Michael Brecker had been investigating this towards the end of his life. It's a very funny story. Very funny story. I should uh, tell it. Michael Brecker met the best friend of Dimitri Lolev, of my friend. Mm -hmm. uh, they were buddies and roommates in the music school. And, and this uh, is in America. This in is in New the York. States. Uh, the, this guy's name is Encho Todorov and he's a violin player, okay. folk violin player. Mm -hmm. He immigrated in the States in the 90s yeah. and he uh, is doing very well playing classical music, but also folk music occasionally. And somehow he met Michael Brecker. And Michael Brecker had heard some of the music uh, on recordings, like The Mystery of Bulgarian Voices and Ivo Papazov, who was touring in the States in the mm. time. 
at the time and he uh, met this guy and somebody introduced him and said, this is a Bulgarian folk player, plays the violin. And Michael was like, can you give me lessons? Can you please give me lessons? I really want to learn this music. So they, they had a few lessons, but of course, um, Encho is a violin player. So who, who he couldn't really speak about the saxophone. Yeah. yeah. And um, But Mike was very interested in this music and he was even composing for his last album. He was already an album that was never recorded. He was composing tunes that mm. had a lot of these influences. And in, 19, uh, in 2004, he met Dimitar. Michael Brecker met Dimitar at North Sea Jazz Festival. And Michael Brecker had a, had a masterclass. And Dimitar, of course, who was a big fan, came to him after the masterclass and introduced himself. And he said, I'm from Bulgaria and I'm a saxophone player. And Michael immediately asked him, do you play some of that folk stuff? And he said, yes, I, my father is a very famous composer. I do play that stuff. So Michael said, oh my God, this is what I've been waiting for. Here's, uh, give me your phone number and I'm going to contact with you. But then he got ill and uh, this okay. connection was never there. Otherwise, if Michael had lived, I think uh, Dimitri and him would have a great connection because... Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I suppose yeah. it, it somewhat parallels the story of Coltrane about to take lessons from Ravi Shankar on, on Indian right. music and then passing away shortly before that was going to take place. Yeah. Um. Yes. So, but but then um, it's nice to, to touch on that topic. A lot of, um, because you mentioned that there's a lot of odd meter music nowadays and there's also a lot of, um, quite some of in Eastern influences into jazz music yeah. today. We know very well um some of, some of the big names like Tigran Hamasyan is a piano player that not only uses some of that some of those meters but he uses a lot of the melodic material yeah, and yeah. The ornamentation as well and uh, obviously obviously uh, people like Ibrahim Malouf and uh, Avishai Cohen the, yeah. the bass player have this this stuff integrated and uh, it's a very it's a very interesting time where all these traditions are starting to really get into jazz not just a little bit but really get into jazz and I think slowly more more musicians will get interested in the Bulgarian thing as well, and um, it's. Uh, I think this this is then our responsibility to also to, to also spread that kind of um, tradition around, you know, as much as we yeah, can. Yeah, because what has the reception been for the music? Like, how how have audiences reacted? Have you have you gotten an opportunity to perform this outside of Bulgaria? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, sometimes, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have to say, people that are familiar with Bulgarian music already, Bulgarians or people around mm -hmm. uh, the Balkans, seem to get it more. And um, Western Europeans, for them, is still a little bit too exotic. And they rather hear kind of the, the more the traditional music that seems to appeal more to them. Traditional instruments, traditional way of playing. Hmm. For, some, for, uh, for them, this is a bit more of a... Um, earthy kind of thing they connected somehow it's the same thing as you would want to just go to a, to a nice shop and have a, a real piece of wood from so and so and so and I think our experiments still sound a lot like fusion to, to most of the audiences and they we have this joke with Dimitar when we, when we play this thing in Bulgaria some people would say 
it sounds like Bulgarian music, but you did something to it. And then <laughs> when you're playing abroad, they say it sounds like jazz, but you did something to it. You know. Yeah. Okay. So there, there's still something to be gained but there. Do you think that's is that something that's inherent in the music? Because I suppose the the virtuosity that is involved mm -hmm. is probably best paralleled to fusion when yeah. in the, the the actual jazz traditions. Probably, probably, um, yeah. And then I suppose there's also the fact that obviously you mentioned you guys came up in the time when when fusion and 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 jazz rock and that kind of stuff probably was the most prominent. Yeah. Um true. But do you do you expect what is the what is the current situation over there? Do you expect that there's a there is a generation of musicians now that and and upcoming generations of musicians that are going to be more anchored in say the music that's being made now and because obviously you guys are doing that but do you see people coming after you now that are going to uh, sort of pick up the baton and, and run with it i think so i don't see so many but i see a few i mm. see a few people that are from the from the younger generations that are definitely interested in that stuff and we encourage all of them to actually go and get their education abroad as well yeah because the only reason why we could make that change from the previous generations is that we could get that jazz education we we could really learn about jazz yeah. because everyone before us they were they lived in very isolated times mm. and they could not really they learned through smuggling records and through but they didn't have a system they didn't have anybody to actually sit down and show them stuff and so we um we're the first ones and Anyone I see over there with the talent and whether they're folk guys coming from the folk tradition or coming from from the, the same uh, the same um, scene that we came through the, the poppy and the funky thing through the jazz and then maybe getting interested in in, uh, in the folk thing a little bit. I always uh, encourage them, please get get that education abroad learn that stuff learn jazz and then you can do anything with it yeah yeah because um maybe this is something else that's interesting to discuss you obviously are quite a an advocate for jazz music and you yeah. you have been um you have been trying to spread your love for that music over there specifically um and you run a, a series of of discussions of of basically um, masterclasses, right? This uh, jazz tour, you call it? Exactly. Um, yeah, maybe you want to talk about that? Yeah, this is uh, also something that I discovered that uh, um, jazz music has been absent really from the culture of, of Bulgaria hmm. for about 50 years, which were the most fruitful years for this music and yeah. with, the most, with the most advancement. We're talking about the, the middle, mid 40s until the 90s. So you had the, the 40s and 50s and 60s, which were very, very revolutionary for this music. We kind of missed out on all that. And people just do not know what happened. Don't know, don't know about these figures, don't know uh, the contribution they've made. So I decided to start organizing a, a regular uh, it's concert series. But in addition to the concert, there is an educational part, which is sort of a uh, through like a... Uh, multimedia I would present a very significant jazz artist yeah so you show uh, documentaries I show documentaries I tell, tell the stories I explain about the music yeah. uh, I explain why does it sound the way it sounds so so in my in my presentation of these things I wrote 
if you want to understand why this music sounds the way it sounds and what is behind the people who created it, you should you should come to this because it's not just a concert. And that seems to be working well. Mm. And I slowly, I'm slowly gaining a very good audience. Uh, and then I see that people are also starting to make the, the, the correlation that I'm advocating the tradition of jazz and at the same time they see us doing our thing with Bulgarian music and we're all the time linking the two together and saying... This is why we can do this. We can do this because we learn jazz. We can do this because we have these two languages together and now we can combine. So I in this way we also encourage everyone. Yeah, so you're you're also building an audience through this. Also building an audience. There's, yeah. there's Cuz how often do you do this? You do this once a month or something? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, once a month. Yeah. yeah. And you have you see now that um that the same people come back and oh, that, yes. they, that, that those people will also come to your other regular gigs. Yes, that, yeah. that happens. Yeah, we, we were gaining fans through that and exposing people to uh, jazz and through that, they also gain interest to the other things because, mm. of course, they go on it online and they see all the other projects with the Bulgarian music and some of them are reacting to that. So that's definitely feeding, feeding off each other. And... Um, it's for me. It's also very important that you establish a, a, a certain um, criteria as well, uh, because they see when people come to these uh, jazz story presentations, they see the greatness of these musicians. They see how much they see the dedication. They see the accomplishments. They see uh, sometimes the the hardships they had to go through to make this music, and it also starts to speak to people that music making is not. Uh, it's just a hobby because this is a lot of unfortunately what's sort of instilled in, in, the, in the culture over there music making is entertainment it's just somebody who's uh, you know, picked up the guitar for a hobby and then makes, yeah. the, makes the people in the restaurant feel happy the artistry is not so much appreciated and this is also one thing that I really like to to promote. That yeah. is, this is serious business, and and <laughs> people who who make music in the jazz world. Because for for people, obviously the classical tradition. Oh, that's serious music. Yes, we know that this is serious. But then opera is serious. But the jazz music, oh, you know. So this is a uh, this is also one of my real uh, intentions uh, to 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 advocate for for that. Uh, for, for the seriousness of jazz yeah. and, and, and also to the folk music by the way because folk music also has the same reputation folk musicians are just people who play on weddings and other festivities and they they make everyone happy and everyone dance but probably they have another job during the day yeah but I suppose that's something we yeah. we encounter kind of all over the place right right yeah um, okay um, as we sort of round down I think we're, we're reaching the end of this talk um, and this is possibly slightly off topic, but um, it's something I like to ask my guests. Is there anything that you have read or seen or listened to lately that you would like to recommend people go and check out? It could be a book, it could be a movie a record. Um, uh, okay. Yes, quite a few things, but let's see if, uh, if, it's, uh, if it's music. It doesn't have to be related to music. It's just mm -hmm. something interesting. Right? Yeah. Um, if it's uh, 
if we're talking about a book, I'm definitely rediscovering it's something that people know. But I'm definitely rediscovering the, the great wisdom in uh, Kenny Werner's Effortless Mastery book. Oh, yeah. This is something that I've, I've read it before, uh, but I think mm-hmm. I wasn't even ready at that time when I read it in my first years of, as a student. But as I read it again now, I see it's very va- valuable knowledge for, for every musician and every artist, actually, to overcome a lot of these personal issues that we all have as artists, our sensitivity or extra sensitivity, which can really lead in, uh, which can really get in the way with, with our um, ability to express ourselves. So I totally recommend everyone to go through that book. Yeah, it's somewhat of a sort of self-help, self-help for improvisers. For improvisers, uh, specifically for improvisers, yeah. yeah, and composers. It's a very, very good book. So that's something I would totally recommend. Yeah. And Records come out all the time, so <laughs> yeah, of course. there's plenty to check out, plenty of beautiful things to check out. Speaking of which, is there anything that you would like to mention of your own that... Can we expect something new from Jazanito anytime in the near future? Yes, I really, uh, I really hope that I'll, uh, I can release or at least record next year, 2018. Okay, I can do a new, new, new record, and hopefully by the end of the year we can have a new CD out. I really want to do that. It's only a budget thing. The music <laughs> is, is slowly coming away, and uh, all uh, all the musicians in the band really want to do it. But if we put some budget together, if we can, there'll be a new CD yeah. from the band. With the same lineup. You, as far as I understood, the piano player on the record is not... Yeah, no. Uh, we, we have uh, changed the piano player and we've played with the, this uh, famous uh, Bulgarian musician lately from, from the older generation mm-hmm. called Antoni Donchev. He's one yeah. of the first experiment, experimentators in that, in that uh, area from, yeah. the jazz, from the jazz musicians because he's really a, a jazz musician. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the next record, uh, we might we might try a different instrumentation. We might try something only with guitar because uh, Ludmil and I we were talking a lot about there is a strong tradition in the in the in the wedding style of music where the guitar player replaces the bass and plays like the same uh, multifunctional. He plays the bass line and the chords together. Okay. And we want to try some of that because that's that has a very specific sound that is very nice, very very powerful, very rhythmical, mm. and see if we could do that together. But also he's a great soloist, so I want him to really to solo as well. But when he does that, obviously you know the other the other thing mm, yeah. will suffer a little bit. So we have to make a decision for that still. Mm. But that's coming up. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to keep the lineup and these other people that I truly respect and admire and. Um, they also some of my best friends in life, but I I feel very connected to them. We're the same generation. We I think we're going for the same thing, and uh, feeling the same the same passion about uh, combining Bulgarian music and jazz. So great, Bobby. Thanks a lot for being on the show, and uh, we'll hear a bit more of your music in a moment. Thank you very much, Brad. Thanks for Thanks. having me. That was my conversation with Bobby Petrov. Keep listening for some more of his music at the end of the show. Visit soundofthemoment.com to find detailed show notes and links to Bobby's website, where, amongst other things, you can buy Jazanita's debut album. I'd like to thank my fellow members of Catrio for providing intro and outro music. 
If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear them. So don't hesitate to reach out to me. I am Pat Cleaver on Twitter and there is a Sound of the Moment page on Facebook. Right now, the best way to support the show is to add it to your RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes. That way you automatically download every episode as soon as it's released. And while you're on iTunes, give us a favorable rating or review. That's really helpful. I leave you with another piece of music from Bobby Petrov and Jasenica. This is called Gagarin. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment.
Thank you.